Well, I thought I was going to be uh, spending the afternoon going to the airport. Um, some of the church staff went to a conference, left this afternoon to go to a conference in Tulsa, Oklahoma. And I was going to be the, the driver to get people there. And uh, so I asked Gary if he would fill in for me tonight, and he cons uh, consented to do so. Turns out I got my wires crossed and only had to take everybody to, to the Orange County Airport instead of LAX. But we wanted to give Garrett a chance to bless us with the word. This will be the first time I'll have a chance to be in the service while he's teaching. So we're glad to have you. It's all yours. How's everyone doing? Okay, so uh, I usually teach for youth group and young adults group. And so when I open, I always say, how's everyone doing? And then everyone always is like, oh, okay. And then I have to ask at least two or three more times until everyone's really excited. So we're going to do that right now. How's everyone doing? Great. How's everyone doing? Great. Oh, that one was, okay, we're going to stop. That one was worse than the first one. Okay. <laughs> so we'll stop there. So before we jump in, is it possible, can I get the, the slide of my face up here? I don't know if it's possible for me to get that. Uh, I don't know why they, they picked, is that, is that the picture? Yeah, you know, there's so many good pictures of me and that's the one they choose. So the, the reason I wanted them to throw this up here was not so you could see my beautiful face in that pose, uh, but so you would know how to spell my name. The reason is uh, if you have an iPhone, uh, I make iPhone apps on occasion and I made an app called the Healing App. And so I just wanted to make you aware of it. If you search my name uh, in the App Store for iPhones, no Android. I apologize if you're an Android user. Uh, but if you have an iPhone and you want the healing app, you can search my name and download it. Basically, it's an app that will uh, it'll cycle you through uh, every healing scripture in the Bible. There's also confessions that have been written based on those scriptures for you to confess over yourself. And so... You know, if you want a daily reminder of what God's word says about you concerning healing, you can just set a reminder in this app, and every morning it'll pop up and just give you a Bible verse about what God says about healing. It's free, and so you can just download it. Wanted to make you aware. Uh, if you do download it, feel free to leave a really positive review in the App Store. Even if you don't download it, still leave a really positive review in the App Store. Uh, so I wanted to let you know about that. Uh, so yeah, before we jump into the main... Uh, the main sermon, you know, if you've been here when I've taught before, I always like to start in Acts chapter 10, verse 38, to just kind of lay some groundwork. So if you have a Bible, go to Acts chapter 10, verse 38. You know, I, I have a four-year-old son, and I'm a strong proponent of faith not, how do I say this? I'm a strong proponent that God didn't intend for faith to be complicated, God doesn't want things to be confusing or difficult for us. Things are relatively straightforward. That's why uh, he says that it's good for us to have faith like a child. And so we're just going to look at this verse, Acts chapter 10, verse 38, to see how simple and straightforward God's word is concerning healing. How God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power, who went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. So we see in this verse that it answers so many of the questions people have about healing. How God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power who went about doing good and healing. So is healing good or is healing bad? It's, it's good. Now, I, I also say this usually when I teach. I say that, you know, there's different kinds of churches and a lot of times... 
know, we go to the kind of church where the pastor will say something really good and then, you know, you silently write it in your journal and silently nod your head. There's also churches where people like to hum. They go like, mm, when someone says something that's good. You know, or even some churches, people like to say things like, amen, or Ooh, that's good. So if, 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 if I say something or if I read a scripture that you think is good, feel free to write it down in your journal, but you're also welcome to hum at me. You're also welcome to say amen or, ooh, that's really good. So, so, that, so let's try this again. Or, and, well, my, my point is, so, you know, you, you can participate. If I ask a question, feel free to answer like you're excited. If I say, is healing good? Don't be like, yeah, it's good. Be like, yes, it's good. It's good to be healed, amen? It's good to be healed, amen? How God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power who went about doing good and healing. So is healing good or is healing bad? He went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil. So where does sickness come from? Does it, does it come from God? Like even if he wants to teach you something really complicated? No. The Bible tells us that sickness is oppression from the devil. How God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power who went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed of the devil. How many of the people did he heal? Did he heal some of them? Just like the special select few that he picked that were worthy for healing? The ones that made sure that they kept all the rules? No, how many did he heal? How God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power who went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed of the devil, for God was with him. Now here's a question. Is God with you? Yeah. Let me ask you another question. Have you been anointed with the Holy Spirit? Have you been anointed with power? So do this, does this verse apply to you? Is God's healing good? Does God heal everyone? You know, it's pretty straightforward. Like this one single verse answers all those things that people say. So sometimes it's just good to remind yourself of the simple truths of the Bible. God's healing is good, sickness comes from the devil, and God heals all. Amen? Amen. Okay, so that was like my introduction. Now we're going to get into uh, to what I actually have planned for you. Why don't we go to Romans chapter 10? Romans chapter 10. Romans chapter 10, we're going to start in verse 8. But what does it say? The word is near you, in your mouth and in your heart. That is, the word of faith which we preach. That if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God, that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. For the scripture says, whoever believes on him will not be put to shame. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. For the same Lord, uh, for the same Lord over all is rich to all who call upon him. For whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. So tonight I want to talk about salvation. And the passage that we've read, Romans chapter 10, verse 9, gives us what, what a lot of people consider to be the formula of faith. He says, if you believe in your heart and you confess with your mouth, you will be saved. So the pattern, amen, that's right. 
So that's the pattern of faith, that you believe something, and because you believe something, you do something. In this case, you speak something. You confess what you believe. So faith is belief plus corresponding action, which a lot of times will be confession. And that's, that's how we believe. And you see that throughout Scripture, that Jesus is constantly teaching people to use their words to express what they believe. And Paul says right here that if you have faith in Jesus, if you believe something and you confess something, that you will be saved. And so we're going to talk about what it means to be saved. And I think there's a lot of uh, words or a lot of ideas in the church that we all think that we kind of know or that Christians think they kind of know, but they don't really know how to articulate them. When we think of salvation or when we think about being saved, a lot of times we think that that means you know, okay, that, I get to go to heaven when I die. Being saved means I get to go to heaven when I die. Or being saved means that my sins have been forgiven. But what you'll find is when you study the scriptures, when you study what the Bible actually says about salvation, salvation includes so much more than just that. It's good to understand what the Bible or what God means when he says things in the Bible. And it's good to have an understanding of what these words mean. Uh, the definition that I usually work with for salvation is complete deliverance in every area of your life. Salvation is complete deliverance in every area of your life. And what I'd like to do is just kind of go through what the Bible says about salvation and what it means to be saved. So uh, I, I know Pastor Mike has, talk, uh, has taught on this a lot. And, and let me just say, like, it's a blessing to have such consistent teaching on these things. Uh, yesterday, I was going through some of my notebooks from maybe like a decade ago, and I was reading some of the notes, uh, and the things that Pastor Mike was teaching about salvation 10 years ago are the same, thing, the same things that he's teaching today. And it's just a blessing to be able to go through your notes and see these things and say, you know, God's word hasn't changed. Our doctrines haven't changed. These things have been consistent since the church began. These things have been consistent for 2,000 years. So the word saved in this verse, if you believe and you confess, you will be saved. That's the Greek word sozo. And Pastor Mike often talks about there being five different meanings for the word sozo or for the word saved. So just, just out of curiosity, does anyone besides Pastor Mike know? I would imagine Pastor Mike knows these. But anyone else? Does anyone else know the five meanings? Have we got Tony in the back? Well, let's see if I can let's see if I can remember them without looking at my notes. Being saved, sozo, means to rescue, to deliver, to make safe, to make sound, and to heal. Did I get them right? I got them. I did read them like over and over and over again before I taught, so I had a bit of a head start. But salvation, to be saved, means to be delivered, to be rescued, to be made safe, to be made sound, and to be healed. So when we read these scriptures, when it talks about you being saved, you know, if you confess with your mouth, if you believe with your heart, you will be saved. You could equally say, if you believe in your heart and you confess with your mouth, you will be rescued. And in fact, when we read in the Bible stories about Jesus and his disciples being in a, in a boat and the, the waves are large and they're crashing in and the disciples wake up Jesus and they say, Lord, save us, we're perishing. That word save is the same word that's used to describe our salvation. 
It's that word sozo. It means to rescue. It also means to deliver. If you believe in your heart and you confess with your mouth, you will be delivered. This morning we were talking about Acts chapter 16 where Paul and Silas were in prison. And at midnight they prayed and they sang praises. And the prisoners heard them and there was an earthquake that shattered the the chains off their wrists. They were saved in that prison. They were delivered. We also know that that we we could substitute these other words in. If you believe in your heart and you confess with your mouth, you will be made sound. In Luke chapter 8, we read about a demon-possessed man who was touched by Jesus. Jesus cast demons out of him, and it describes the man as having been saved by Jesus. It uses that same word, sozo. This man was delivered from demonic, uh, demonic possession. He was made whole. He was made sound by the salvation of God. And we could also substitute that word in healed. If you believe in your heart and you confess with your mouth, you will be healed. We serve a God whose salvation is all-inclusive. God doesn't save certain parts of us. He doesn't save certain ones of us. He offers his salvation for each and every one of us in each and every area of our lives. Amen, Garrett. There we go. We could be, you know, it's okay to be excited about being saved. So let's try that again. We serve a God who saves each and every one of us in each and every area of our lives. Amen. Amen. So that's what the word means, to rescue, to deliver, to make safe, to make sound, and to heal. But it's also interesting to look at how this word is used elsewhere. You know, it's easy for us to look it up in a, in a concordance or in a dictionary and say, this is what the word means. But how is this word used by other people? In other words, if you lived in the time of Jesus and someone came along and said, hey, that Jesus guy, he's come to save us, what would that mean to the average person who spoke Greek in the first century? Now, does anyone here know who Hippocrates is? Anyone heard, Shani's heard of him, because I've probably talked about him. Okay, Hippocrates, no one really has heard of him. Who here has heard of the Hippocratic Oath? Right, the Hippocratic Oath is the oath that doctors have historically taken before they become doctors, where they, they basically uh, make a declaration that they're not going to do any harm to their patients. Now, the, the Hippocratic Oath came from a man named Hippocrates, who lived about 400 years before Jesus. So he lived around 400 BC, and he was a doctor. In fact, today he's considered the father of medicine, Uh, And his job was, he was a doctor, and then he taught people how to be doctors. So he trained doctors, and he wrote a ton of medical textbooks. And we still have some of those textbooks. And in those textbooks, he teaches his students how to save their patients. And he uses this word sozo to describe how a doctor saves his patients. So 400 years before Jesus was even born, the word sozo was understood by the whole Greek world as referring in part to physical healing. And then Jesus came along, and Jesus could have used any word to describe how he rescues his people, but he chose to use this loaded word that was understood for hundreds and hundreds of years to refer to physical healing. If you were walking down the street in in Judea in the first century, and someone said, hey, there's this Jesus guy. He came to save us. You wouldn't th- the, the average person in that day wouldn't be thinking, oh, of course, he came to uh, forgive our sins. That's what salvation means. 
He wouldn't say, oh, oh, he came to save us? Yeah, that means I get to go to heaven when I die. No, if you lived in this culture and you heard that Jesus had come to save you, you would understand that that meant to deliver you from whatever was oppressing you, to rescue you from danger, to make you whole and sound and safe, and to heal you. And that's the context that Jesus came into promising to be the savior of the world and to save people. He came to deliver people not just from their sins, not just from hell, but from destruction, from sickness, from demonic possession, from anything that could come against his people. In fact, this morning we were reading, I think it was Isaiah chapter 12, and, and the, the Bible says, uh, it says that, uh, how does it say it? Well, why don't I just look it up? Isaiah, I think it was chapter 12. Isaiah chapter 12. Behold, God is my salvation. I will trust and not be afraid. For Yah the Lord is my strength and song. He also has become my salvation. Now, does anyone know what the Hebrew word for salvation is? Yeshua. It's where we get the word Jesus. Jesus' name literally means salvation. That's why in the Bible, when Jesus was prophesied, the angel said, you shall name him Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. So right here, when you read this, it literally says, uh, right here, verse 2, behold, God is my Jesus. Jesus came to bring salvation, an all-inclusive salvation for every single one of us in every area of our lives. And we see that based on what the word means, to rescue, to deliver, to make sound, to make safe, and to heal. We see that that's what the word means culturally and historically from the time. But how was this word used in scripture? How did Jesus use this word? Let's go to Mark chapter 5. Mark chapter 5. We're going to start reading in verse 21. Mark chapter 5, verse 21. Now when Jesus had crossed over again by boat to the other side, a great multitude gathered to him, and he was by the sea. And behold, one of the rulers of the synagogue came, Jairus by name. And when he saw him, he fell at his feet and begged him earnestly, saying, My little daughter lies at the point of death. Come and lay your hands on her, that she may be healed, and she will live. That word healed? Sozo. Come and lay your hands on my daughter, and she shall be saved. And it's worth noting here that Jairus, in his request for salvation, he said something. He didn't just believe something. He did what Romans chapter 10 talks about. He believed, but he also confessed. He said, if you come and lay your hands on her, she will be saved and she shall live. So Jesus went with him and a great multitude followed him and thronged him. Now a certain woman had a flow of blood for 12 years and had suffered many things from many physicians. She had spent all that she had and was no better, but rather grew worse. When she heard about Jesus, she came, and, uh, she came behind him in the crowd and touched his garment. For she said, if I may only touch his clothes, I shall 
be made whole. That phrase, be made whole or be made well, Greek word sozo. If I may only touch the hem of his garment, I shall be saved. And again, notice that she does the exact same thing that Romans chapter 10 tells us to do. She didn't just believe something, but she said something. She said, if I may only touch the hem of his garment, I shall be saved. She vocalized her faith, and then she acted upon it. She pushed herself through this crowd to get to Jesus and to grab hold of him. Her faith wasn't just something she believed. It was something that affected her words, and it affected her actions. And what was the result of this woman having faith in God's salvation, in believing, confessing, and doing? Verse 29, immediately the fountain of her blood was dried up, and she felt in her body that she was healed of the affliction. And Jesus, immediately knowing in himself that power had gone out of him, turned around in the crowd and said, who touched my clothes? But his disciples said to him, you see the multitude thronging you and you say, who touched me? And he looked around to see her who had done this thing. But the woman, fearing and trembling, knowing what had happened to her, came and fell down before him and told him the whole truth. And he said to her, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your affliction. That phrase, made you well, Greek word sozo. Daughter, your faith has saved you. Again, notice that Jesus attributes her, uh, her healing, her salvation, to her faith. She believed something, she said something, she acted upon it, and she received. And Jesus called that faith, and that faith brought her salvation. Now, we won't read the rest of the story, but basically what happens next is they find out that Jairus' daughter has died. And if you read Luke's account in Luke chapter 8, verse 50, it tells us that Jesus says to the man, says to Jairus, do not be afraid, only believe, and your daughter shall be made well. That phrase, made well, Greek word sozo. Do not be afraid, but believe, and your daughter shall be saved. And sure enough, they go to the house, and Jesus prays with her, and she's raised from the dead. This whole story probably takes place in about 10 minutes. And in 10 minutes, you have three different people, including Jesus, use the word saved, use the word sozo, to refer to physical healing. And that's not a fluke. If you go through the Gospels, the word sozo is used 50 times. 30% of those times, it's referring to physical healing. What that tells us is not only linguistically does salvation include healing, not only historically and culturally does salvation include healing, but even biblically, even according to Jesus himself, your salvation includes healing. Salvation is complete deliverance in every area of your life. So how did you get saved? Or rather, let me say it this way. How did you get saved for the forgiveness of sins? Because saved doesn't mean only becoming a Christian and going to heaven someday. How did you become a Christian? How did you receive the forgiveness of your sins? You believed something, and you acted upon it. You believed something, and you said something. 
You believed that Jesus was Lord and that he was raised from the dead. And then you said it out loud. You prayed. You confessed it. And you received salvation for the forgiveness of sins. And the Bible tells us that receiving salvation for demonic possession or destruction in your life or a lack of peace or for sickness all takes place in the exact same way. You believe something, and then you act upon it. You believe something, and then you say something. So with all of that context, that was actually just my introduction, by the way. <laughs> with, with all of that, why don't we go back to Romans chapter 10 and pick up where we left off. Romans chapter 10, we'll pick up in verse 9. That if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. You will be delivered. You will be made whole. You will be healed. For with the heart one believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. For the scripture says, whoever believes on him will not be put to shame. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek, for the same Lord over all is rich to all who call upon him. For whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved, shall be healed, shall be delivered, shall be rescued. Verse 14. How then shall they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe in him of whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher. And how shall they preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the gospel of peace, who bring glad tidings of good things. You know, a lot of times we read Romans chapter 10 and we use it to describe our salvation. This is how I get saved. I believe and I confess and then I receive. But that's not the context that Paul is writing. Now, it's absolutely true that this is a formula for how you can receive salvation. But if you're here, you've already received the forgiveness of your sins. Paul was writing this to the church of Rome, to a building filled with Christians. But he wasn't writing it for them. How shall they call on him in whom they have not believed? He was writing it for they. Who's they? They are the people that aren't in this room right now. They are the people who weren't members of the Church of Rome or of any of these churches that Paul planted in the first century. They is referring to the other people that have not yet received that salvation. And so Paul is writing to the Romans to tell them, this is how other people will receive, my sal or receive God's salvation. This is how you get other people saved. I think a lot of times 
Christians think that everything is all about us. That God loves me. That I am special. That, that God has called me to great things. And all those things are true. But our faith isn't meant to be just about us. You read through the prayers of the Bible, and it becomes very clear that God is not just interested in you. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us of our sins as we forgive those who have trespassed against us. You even go to Ephesians chapter 1 and Ephesians chapter 3 where you see those great prayers that Paul prayed there. And those are directed at groups of people. Who are they? There are 7 billion people in the world and 68% of them are they. 68% of them don't believe in Jesus. Around 33% of them have never even heard of Jesus. Of the 2.3 billion people in the world that are Christians, how many of them know that salvation is more than just going to heaven when you die? How many of them know that salvation is an all-inclusive gift that delivers us in every area of our lives? Now, it's, it's easy to, to hear these numbers like, like, a, like billions of people and, and all this and to get overwhelmed with how many people that is. So why don't we bring it closer to home? How many of our coworkers know that salvation includes healing? How many of our neighbors know that Jesus is our healer? How then shall they call on him in whom they have not believed? As people who have received this, this wonderful teaching, who have received the full gospel, it'd be such a pity for us to hear that word and to write it down in our journals and to receive it in this room and then never let the rest of the world know about it. We read earlier about the woman with the issue of blood. You know, she had, she had, had, a, had, a, had a flow of blood for 12 years and she went to all the doctors and spent all the money that she had, but she didn't get any better. She only grew worse. And I think the most important verse in that passage is verse 27 when she heard about Jesus. How did she hear about Jesus? She had been sick for 12 years. She probably wasn't allowed to leave the house because she was unclean. And yet someone ventured in and told her about this guy named Jesus that was going around from village to village healing every sickness and every disease. That whole story wouldn't have happened if some unnamed hero hadn't decided to do something that was probably a bit uncomfortable, probably a bit awkward, and go visit this woman who was in desperate need of salvation and tell her about Jesus. 
In Mark chapter 2, we read about the, the, the paralyzed man, the crippled man who, who went to see Jesus. And it tells us that four men carried him to the village that Jesus was in and carried him to Jesus so that he could receive. Everyone, look to the person on your left or right. Would you be willing to carry that person across town to go meet Jesus? I mean, like, we're fortunate. We live in a society where we have cars, right? Like, you don't need to pick someone up and carry them to church. You can just give them a ride. Yet how often are we willing to drive 20 or 30 minutes out of our way to bring someone to church so they can hear about Jesus? These men carried this guy all the way to Jesus They got there, the building was packed, they couldn't get in, so then they decided to lift Jesus onto the roof of the house. Look to the person on your left or right. Would you be willing to lift that person onto a roof? (laughs) You don't have to answer out loud. And then they knocked a hole in the ceiling, and then they devised some system of levers and pulleys to lower this guy into the living room so that Jesus could minister to him. You know, we, uh, we were rearranging some furniture at our house this last week, and I had to move, uh, what, like, what did you call it, like a, like a sofa bed? Is that what it's called? Like a sofa with a bed inside. I had to get it from one room to the other. And it, it was the most trying experience. Like, I, I hear that childbirth is bad, but... Moving this couch is probably the most difficult thing that anyone has ever had to do in the history of the human race. I, I'm, I'm moving it, and the couch, it, it keeps opening. The bed keeps popping out and, and springing, and I had to take a door off the hinges, and then I couldn't get it back on, and it, it, was, it was horrible. <laughs> and <laughs> I mean, it's like the most horrible thing I've ever experienced in my entire life, so it was, it was pretty bad. Yeah, everyone's like, oh, poor you. It wasn't fun. Would I be willing to carry some guy across town, lift him up onto a ceiling or up onto a roof, knock a hole in, and lower him down to Jesus? These guys were. These guys answered the call. How then shall they hear if no one tells them? How then shall they believe if they never hear? These four men decided it was important for their friend to hear. And they did what needed to be done. On the other end of the spectrum, we have what may be one of the most tragic stories in the Bible in John chapter 5. You can flip there if you'd like, John chapter 5. John chapter 5, verse 1. After this, there was a feast of the Jews, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Now there is in Jerusalem by the Sheep Gate a pool, which is called in Hebrew Bethesda, having five porches. In these lay a great multitude of sick people, blind, lame, paralyzed, waiting for the moving of the water. For an angel went down at a certain time into the pool and stirred the water, then whoever stepped in first after, stirring of the, uh, after the stirring of the water was made well of whatever disease he had. Now a certain man 
was there who had an infirmity 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there and knew that he had already been in that condition a long time, Jesus said to him, do you want to be made well? The sick man answered him, sir, I have no man to put me into the pool when the water is stirred up. But while I am coming, another steps down before me. Jesus said to him, rise, take up your bed and walk. And immediately the man was made well, took up his bed and walked. And that day was the Sabbath. This is a man who was sick for 38 years. And he spent all that time sitting next to a pool, hoping that he could get into that water so he could be healed. And yet we read, in all that time that he was sick, he had no one to help him get in. How then shall they call on him if they've never heard? How then shall they believe if they've never heard? How many people are out there sitting next to the pool just hoping that someone will help them dip in so that they can receive? How many of our neighbors, how many of our coworkers, how many of our friends and family are in desperate need of God's salvation, are in desperate need to hear the truth that we all know, but they never hear it. Salvation isn't just supposed to be something that's for us. In fact, when Pastor Mike was reading out of Galatians chapter 3 this morning, and there's a verse there, Galatians chapter 3, verse 8, that says this, And the scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel to Abraham beforehand. So we read that Abraham had the gospel preached to him. And what was that gospel? In you, all the nations of the earth shall be blessed. From the very beginning, that was the gospel. That was God's plan. That the whole world would be blessed by his chosen people. But the Israelites thought it was just something for them. Rather than being a light to the Gentiles like God called them to be, they, they hid that light under a bushel. They hid it for themselves. From the very beginning, when God appeared to Abraham in Genesis chapter 12, he said, follow me and I will do a couple of things. I will bless you, I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. God blessed Abraham so that he could bless others. And then he said, in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. That was God's plan from the very beginning, that we would be blessed so we could bless others, that we would be saved so that we would save others, that we would be healed so that we could heal others. Galatians chapter 6, verse 2 says, uh, well, I'll just flip there because I can't think of it off the top of my head. Galatians chapter 6, verse 2. I, I, I. Bear one another's burdens. I got it. 
Galatians chapter 6, verse 2. Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. The Bible tells us that Jesus bore our burdens. It says that we got to cast our cares on him because he cares for us. But did you ever think that maybe he took your burdens so your hands would be free to carry someone else's? Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. The salvation that we have received isn't just for us. The healing that we receive isn't just for us. And one of the best ways for other people to hear about that healing, to hear about that salvation, to hear about that deliverance, is to hear it from you. They could hear it from you after you've received. Revelation 12, verse 11 uh, says, uh, I'll flip there, and I'll just read it to you. Revelation chapter 12. And they overcame him by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony. They overcame by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony. They knew what God had done for them and then they told other people. They shared their testimony with others and they received. But others can also hear of the salvation of God, what God has done for you when you're going through something by the words that you speak. This morning when Pastor was reading about Acts chapter 16, Paul and Silas didn't wait until they were delivered to start singing praises. They didn't wait until their salvation had come and then after the fact said, hey everyone, guess what? We were like whispering our prayers to God and then he saved us so now we can let you know after the fact that it actually worked. No, it says that they sang praises to God. They sang hymns to, uh, hymns to God and the prisoners heard them. The prisoners knew what they were praying and what they were praising for before anything ever happened. And as a result, they received what they were asking for. I think Abraham is a perfect example of this. Abraham, well, he was, he was called Abram. His father named him Abram. And God appeared to him and said, you're going to have a bunch of kids. There's going to be nations and nations that come from you. And Abraham was 75 years old, and his wife was around the same age, and we're told that both of them were past the age where naturally they should be able to have kids. And Abram's name was, uh, his name was Abram, which means exalted father. So you have this guy walking around who's saying, my name is exalted father. And everyone's like, nice to meet you, exalted father. Where are all your kids? Oh, oh I don't have any kids. Oh, but, but you're the exalted father. Oh, yeah, well, like, God, God said I'm going to have kids, and I, and I believe him. Oh, but, like, you're, you're so old. You can't, you can't have kids. Oh, yeah, I'm exalted father. I'm going to have kids. God said so. And then a couple months pass, and then exalted father comes back into town, and everyone sees exalted father, and they say, hey, exalted father, how's it going? And he says, oh, no, I changed my name. My name is no longer exalted father. Like, oh, thank goodness. I'm so glad you changed your name because you don't have any kids, like, like, you should change your name to, like, like old man or, like, rich man or blessed man, but not, not exalted father because you're not a father. And he said, well, I changed my name from exalted father to father of a multitude. But, but you don't have any kids. Yeah, yeah, God said I'm going to have kids. 
So you want us to call you father of a multitude, even though you're not a father of a multitude. Yes, that's exactly what I want you to do. And he walked around and he told everyone to call him father of a multitude. That's what Abraham means. I'm father of a multitude. I'm, I'm father of a multitude. And sure enough, everyone else started calling him father of a multitude. Abraham convinced a bunch of pagans to confess over him what he believed God was going to do for him. He didn't keep it a secret. He didn't say like, okay, I'm father of a multitude, but everyone else I'm not going to tell because this is embarrassing. I don't have any kids. He said it out loud. He acted upon it. He told other people. And sure enough, God was faithful to his word. God was faithful to what he promised. And father of a multitude received kid after kid after kid. And today, 3,000 years later, the entire world has been blessed by his faithfulness. When you're at work and you have the sniffles, and someone says, oh, you, you have the sniffles, do you, do you go, yeah, uh, yeah, it's, mm. or do you say, well, yeah, but my God's the healer. My God, my God, he heals me. If you're dealing with something at work, do you keep it a secret? Are you embarrassed? Like, I, I have scriptures on my wall in my office for what I'm believing for. If you come to our house, you're going to see Shaney's beautifully handwritten scriptures all over the wall of what we're believing for. Do we hide those things when the boss comes in? Do we have something to say when the boss says, well, like, like how, how can you pray that God's going to heal you when you're sick? Do we not even say those things in front of other people? Do we not tell others what we believe? I think a lot of times we're afraid to say out loud the things that we're believing for because we're afraid that it's not going to work. Well, if we're afraid it's not going to work, then we don't have faith that God's going to do what he said. Now do we? But on the other hand, how can we not have faith that God's going to do what he said? How can God not be faithful to his word? Has God freed you from your sins? Okay, like three of you, God has freed from your sins. The other, the other 50 or so, has God freed you from your sins? Has God freed you and delivered you from your sinful nature? Are you no longer a slave to sin? Are, we're getting quieter. <laughs> we should be getting louder. Has God, are, are you still, wait, have you been delivered how did, how did I say it? Have you been delivered? Have you been saved? Have you been set free? Is your God mightier than everything else on the earth? Is your God faithful to his word? If all those things are true concerning your salvation with the forgiveness of sins, how can they not be true with your salvation for healing? We all got quieter on that part. Is God your healer? Is God your healer? Is God faithful to, your wor or to his word? Yes. Is God faithful to his words in your mouth? Yes. Then what are we afraid of? Is there anything that God can't do? Do we need to be ashamed to believe in God's word? Are we willing to pray and sing praises at the midnight hour so that the other prisoners can hear? 
Or are we afraid that it's going to be embarrassing because maybe, maybe God's not going to do what he said he would do? Do we believe these things or not? If we believe these things, then we should be faithful and bold like Abraham, like father of a multitude. We should walk around, you know, I, I regularly tell my employers that they need to replace my sick time with vacation time because I'm never going to use it. And if I start to get the sniffles at work and someone goes, oh, you said you never get sick, I say, well, my God is faithful to his word. My God will heal me. Are these words on a page or are they a reality? Do we truly believe these words? If you're struggling, it's okay. There was the man who came to Jesus, and Jesus said, do you believe? And he said, Lord, I believe. Help me with my unbelief. Jesus didn't criticize him because he asked for help. He helped him. And sometimes in those situations, if we don't know that we believe, if we don't know that we know, There's nothing wrong with turning to God and saying, God, I need you to help me with my unbelief. I believe. I believe, Lord. And then you stir yourself up in God's word. Have you ever preached to yourself? Have you ever preached yourself happy? It's, you know, you could do it by yourself. You could just, like, kick people out of your room, close the door, turn on some music, and just, you know, pace around and just preach yourself happy. Confess God's word over you. Confess it. Say it, act upon it until it becomes a reality. Don't let his words depart from your mouth. Continue to speak them. Continue to speak them. Continue to speak them. And if you're afraid that you're not bold enough, Acts chapter 4, the disciples prayed for boldness. They prayed a very bold prayer for boldness. There's a pattern in the Bible. It seems that when people don't think they're able to do something, but they're willing to trust God and do it, that they turn out to be really good at it. The disciples were afraid they didn't have enough boldness, so they prayed a bold prayer, and just by doing it, they were emboldened. Moses, standing before God in Acts chapter 3, God said, I want you to go to the people of Israel, and I want you to tell them that I have called you to deliver them. And Moses said, I can't do that. I'm not very eloquent at speaking, which is the most eloquent way of saying I'm not eloquent at speaking. And God said, fine, have Aaron, your brother, go with you, and he'll say all the things. And then you read, and Moses never lets Aaron talk. He, He does all the talking. He didn't think he was able to do it, but he did it anyway. And as a result, he was able to do what God had called him to do. Don't be afraid to speak God's word. When you speak God's word, when you put your trust in him, when you rely on him, it doesn't become about you. You're not healing yourself on your own strength. You're saying, I trust God, and God will do what he said he's going to do. When you realize that it's not your responsibility, that you act in faith, you speak God's word, and God backs up what he promised? Just like with salvation. Before I became a Christian, I didn't sit around and say, okay, 
I need to work really, really hard to make sure I never sin. Stop sinning and then you can become a Christian. Well, to, to be quite honest, I did that for six months. I spent six months saying I need to stop sinning before I can become a Christian. And I tried really, really hard to stop and, and really, really hard to take care of all those things. And I discovered I wasn't able to do it. And then I turned to God and I said, God, I can't do this. I need you to do it for me. December 28, 2004. I said, God, I need you to do this for me. I believe you. I trust you. Save me from my sins. And the next day, I was a brand new man. All the things I was struggling with before, the things that I had spent months and months and months trying to overcome, trying to get my mouth in check so that I wouldn't say all the things I was saying, all the negative, like I'm talking about like speaking positive words for the service, but at the time I was like cursing a lot, saying bad things I shouldn't have been saying, trying really hard to stop. The day after I became a Christian, it was done. I didn't have to try really hard. I didn't have to read 10 books on how to stop sinning. I just said, God, I need your help, and he took care of it. And healing is exactly the same. Deliverance is exactly the same. You put your trust in him, you put your faith in him, and you shall be saved. You shall be healed. You shall be delivered. You shall be made whole. That's how it works. How then shall they believe if they haven't heard? Why don't, why don't we all stand up? There are people in your life who will be blessed by what God has done for you and what God is doing for you, and what God will continue to do for you. But they're only going to be blessed if they know. So why don't we do this? I, I don't know the conditions or the reasons that everyone's here. You know, you may come to healing school because you need healing. You may come to healing school because you don't need healing, but you want to stay healthy. You may come to healing school because your parents drove you here. Whatever reason you're here, if it's because you need to receive or you have received or at some point in the future you're going to need to receive, it doesn't matter. God treats it all the same. So I want us, I want us to practice telling people. You know, usually at the beginning of service, Chipper Jackie will say, okay, everyone greet someone and say, I love you, say, I'm glad you're here, and then we all sit down and have the service. But I want to end the service with us greeting one another. I want to end the service. If you're here and you're here because you need to be healed, then tell someone next to you 
that God is faithful to heal you, that God has promised healing for you, that you have believed, you have trusted in him, and God is faithful to his word, that you have been healed, and that you will receive. If you're hearing God has healed you, tell someone next to you. Say, yeah, you know, I had a sore throat, and God healed it, or I had a broken arm, and God healed it. Tell someone what God has done for you. If you've never been sick in your entire life, then tell God something else, or tell the person next to you something else that God has saved you from. Tell someone, God has been faithful to save me from my sins. God has been faithful to save me from destruction. God has been faithful to save me from everything that's come against me. We don't come to church just so we can receive for ourselves. We come to church so we can be a part of a community and bless others when they need it and be blessed by others when we need it. So why don't we just turn on some background music if we have some back there, and this will be how we close. We will share testimonies of what God has done for us. If you don't know someone, if you see, look around right now, everyone look around. If you see someone standing by themselves and you don't know them, go introduce yourself, go say hello, and then tell them what God has done for you. Is, is that cool? Does that make sense? Are some of you a little bit uncomfortable? That's okay. That's okay. God is good. <laughs>